When I worked in corporate, I took my job as brand ambassador quite seriously. And one of the last roles I had before I left, one of my responsibilities as product director was to be on the review committee for every piece of customer-facing content. Anything that was going to be put in front of customers had to get the review of someone in regulatory, clinical, sometimes legal, and me, the marketing representative. Now, there were a few occasions when some of my marketing colleagues in other markets were not happy with me because I dug my heels in and would not approve some of their pieces that were not aligned with our brand's guidelines. The use of color and imagery were very important to maintaining our brand, and departures from our guidelines only worked to diminish the value and recognition of our brand, so I fiercely protected it. Our brand guidelines were clear, and they served as the foundation of the decisions we made as a brand as to how we showed up for the people we served and delivered a consistent experience for them. A lot of brands have guidelines, especially if they are working with an agency. To make sure we're all on the same page with what brand guidelines are, here's a quick definition from Adobe. Brand guidelines are the set of rules that define the overall look and feel of your brand. They help you build a brand identity that your audience can recognize across all platforms. They went on to explain what's often included in those guidelines and why. They added, a comprehensive brand style guide outlines everything from your typography and color palette to your tone of voice and mission statement. By doing so, it provides all of the instructions you need to communicate the right messages in the right manner every time you create new marketing materials for your company. I say every brand needs to have brand guidelines. It doesn't matter your size. It doesn't matter how many people are on your team. And those guidelines also need to incorporate your approach and style as it relates to inclusion. We'll get into more of what you need to include in your brand guidelines to help you ensure your marketing is inclusive after this short break. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. There's no one right way to create your brand guidelines. And of course, there's no one right way to make your brand inclusive. A hallmark of building an inclusive brand are the choices you make. And those choices need to be documented in your guidelines so no matter who is working on your brand, they know how to deliver inclusive experiences that make the people you serve feel like they belong. All right, when it comes to incorporating inclusion into your brand guidelines, there are two areas I want you to focus on as you get started. The first one is language. Before we dig too deep here, I do want to let you know that there is a whole entire episode on inclusive language. Episode number 15, Getting Started with Inclusive Language for Your Brand with Naila King. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes so you can have a listen if you haven't already. Words matter. That's why language plays an important role in whether or not people feel like they belong. 
It's why some big brands have made changes to eliminate the use of some terms because it was having a negative impact on the way their customers felt. In 2021, Unilever decided to remove the word normal from all their beauty and personal brand packaging and advertising. After doing a survey of more than 10,000 people in nine countries, they found that people who needed products that weren't labeled normal to describe their hair or skin felt excluded. Unilever said that the decision to remove the word normal was a step they were making to, quote, challenge narrow beauty ideals as we work towards helping to end discrimination and advocating for a more inclusive vision on beauty. In late 2020, health website MindBodyGreen announced that they removed the word infertility from their website. The founders explained that in most instances, the term was misused and that moving forward, they wanted to look for better, more correct ways to communicate their point. The founders also noted that, quote, the word infertility does a disservice, unquote, to their readers, and they wanted to use empowering language that better reflected the science. Of course, not all brands will have words that are so triggering for the people they serve, but it is helpful to understand how the words you use impact the people you serve. I recommend that you sit down and think about the experience you want to deliver the people you serve throughout every area of your customer journey. In my course, Inclusive Brand Academy, I've got an entire module on this about designing your customer experience. How do you want people to feel as they are engaging and interacting with your brand? Think about and plan for how you want people to feel as they are engaging and interacting with your brand. Then evaluate whether or not the language you are using supports that feeling, specifically for the people you want to serve. There's a bunch of different things to consider from an inclusive language standpoint. It's just a matter of proactively thinking about how you want your brand to show up. Now, here are a few things to consider. Ableist language is one. First up, let's start with what ableism is. Here's how the site Access Living defines ableism. The discrimination of and social prejudice against people with disabilities based upon the belief that typical abilities are superior. At its heart, ableism is rooted in the assumption that disabled people require fixing and defines people by their disability. The site further explained why ableism is harmful, saying, like racism and sexism, ableism classifies entire groups of people as less than and includes harmful stereotypes, misconceptions, and generalizations of people with disabilities. Okay, examples of ableist language include using terms related to mental health and disability to describe things not related to mental health and disabilities. Here are some very common examples. Words like stupid, insane, crazy, or lame. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, that was a stupid idea? Oh, that growth was insane. We had a crazy time last night, or that idea was lame. Those are ableist terms. Phrases like falling on deaf ears, the blind leading the blind, and I'm super OCD about XYZ. These common words and phrases creep into the way we communicate, and most people use them with no intention of harm, and probably without realization that they can cause harm to other people. But intention and impact are not the same thing, and your intentions should never be used as the measure of success. So if your goal is to not use ableist language in what you produce for your brand, make sure to mark it down in your brand guidelines. Another thing to consider and make a decision on for your brand is your stance on gendered language. Is it in or is it out? 
Will you put a great emphasis on using gender-neutral language? Decisions about gendered language first popped up for me in high school when I remember a teacher I had. He was a very new teacher, had just graduated from university, and he was talking about how he had got marked down on a grade on a college paper because he used he slash she in a paper when referring to a mixed gender group, and he used he slash she throughout rather than defaulting to the he, which is often done. Now, if you will be translating and localizing your content, you'll also need to make decisions for your brand style guide as to how you address gender, particularly for those languages that gender is quite prevalent throughout. This is covered in great detail in episode 70, Growth Through Spanish Translations, Best Practices for Reaching Customers That Speak Different Languages. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes for you. So here are some common nouns that are gendered along with a gender-neutral alternative. Man, which is often used as default. You could easily use person or individual. Mankind, an alternative is humanity. Chairman, you could use chair or head instead. Mailman, you could use mail carrier. Stewardess, flight attendant is a non-gendered form of that term. Another thing to think about is the role of pronouns and if and how you will use them. When showcasing people on your website, team members, will you include their pronouns? If you host a conference, will you incorporate people's preferred pronouns on their badges? Another topic, will you capitalize the B in black when you're referring to a black person? Another consideration, how will you refer to different communities? When I worked my corporate job, we made insulin pumps for people with diabetes. We made a choice and had in our brand guidelines that we said people with diabetes rather than diabetics. How do the communities you serve want to be referred to? How will you refer to the Latino community? Will you say Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, or Latine? My advice here is to do the best you can to call communities what they call themselves or what they prefer to be called. Of course, acknowledging that there may not be consensus among the people in the communities you're serving. And one other thing to consider with regard to language in your brand guidelines is language based upon region. Increasingly, brands have customers and people they serve in countries around the world, and different countries have different ways of saying things and even different spellings of different words and even different formats for dates. I saw on LinkedIn a while back a business owner in the UK asking his colleagues whether they write program as program, P-O-R-G-R-A-M, or program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E. He's British, and the British spelling is with two M's and an E at the end. He lives in the UK, but had lots of customers and people in the community who lived in the US. So he was trying to decide how people felt about it. I'm not here to tell you what's right or what you should or shouldn't be doing here, only that you do need to choose what is right for your brand and then document it. To be clear, Changing your language doesn't mean that you're fully inclusive. It doesn't mean that oppression, racism, sexism, and ableism go away. But not causing harm with the words you use does help support you in delivering experiences that make more people feel included and like they belong. We'll get into making inclusive brand guidelines as it relates to visual imagery after this short break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. 
Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs in a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, the second major area to focus on when it comes to incorporating inclusion into your brand guidelines is your visual imagery. What decisions will you make about the imagery your brand puts forth to ensure that it makes more of the people you serve feel like they belong with you. Decisions around representation are important ones to include. What guidance can you give to your team about representation in your visual imagery? I did a training with a client who told me their goal was to ensure the visual imagery they use in their ads mirrored the percentages of different racial and ethnic groups based upon census numbers. So if the U.S. Census says the Asian population makes up about 6% of the population, then their goal was to have 6% of their images reflect people of Asian descent. Another client I was doing a training with told me about a guideline they had that said for every three people included in an ad or a campaign, at least one person needed to have some form of visual difference, be it in the form of race, gender, or disability. Whatever decisions you make, be sure to document them in your brand guidelines so your team knows how to execute on your vision. Whatever decisions you make, be sure to document them in your brand guidelines so your team knows how to execute on your vision. Another element to consider in your guidelines are the tone and the message your visuals communicate. For example, a common complaint of people within the disability community is that they are portrayed as being helpless or always needing help from others. If you want to ensure your brand does not uphold negative stereotypes, Make sure to call out in your guidelines specifics about what you want your visuals to communicate and what you don't want them to communicate. Making these decisions will go a long way toward ensuring every consumer-facing element of your brand is thought through, planned for, and delivers an inclusive experience. One other thing to think through once you establish your guidelines is whether or not you will go back and update anything you produced previously that don't meet your current standards or if you'll just focus on making the work you do moving forward inclusive. In 2021, the team at Dr. Seuss went back and did an audit of their published catalog and decided to pull six books from publication due to racist stereotypes that were included in the imagery. The six books originally published between 1937 and 1976 did not meet their inclusion standards or live into their inclusive values when looking at it years later. Other things to consider with visual imagery, especially if you'll be producing your own photo and video shoots, include things related to production, ensuring you get behind the camera support to present your talent, particularly those from underrepresented and underserved communities, in their best light. So perhaps that means only contracting with makeup artists and hairstylists that are skilled in working with people with a range of skin complexions and hair textures, or it could mean working with stylists that know how to style different body types, or directors, photographers, and editors who are skilled at showcasing people who are not part of what is considered to be the dominant group in their best light as well. 
make decisions about how you will infuse inclusion into the way your brand shows up, then document those decisions into your brand guidelines. Just because something may seem like common sense to you doesn't mean that everyone on your team, and that includes your contractors and your partners, that doesn't mean that they think the same way, right? So it's important to have everybody all on the same page. And because so much is fluid and we're learning and evolving on a regular basis, continue to revisit those decisions, those guidelines, and even what you've produced to evaluate what changes need to be made to live into your current thinking and stance on an inclusion front. That's it for today's episode. If you like the show, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend, colleague, and your network. Another way to show support for the show is to leave a rating and review for it in your podcast player of choice. It really does go a long way toward helping more people discover the show, which I like to believe helps more people put inclusion top of mind. Also, are you signed up for the inclusion and marketing newsletter? If not, make sure you get on the list. Each week I send news, stories, and additional context and insights to help you build an inclusive brand that grows by making more people feel like they belong with you. Go to inclusionandmarketing.com newsletter to get signed up. I'll also drop a link to it in the show notes for you. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.